Welcome back to Ahmed Yomi, learning Daf Yud Ahmed Aleph, picking up on the bottom of Tess, Ahmed Bays, as we continue to learn in the merit to bring all the hostages home. Today we are doing some of the last bit of the Ein Bains, and we are doing Ein Bain Shiloh Yerushalayim, that once the Jewish people conquered and settled in Israel, eventually the Mishkan ended up in Shiloh. It was there until its destruction, and, and subsequent to that, they eventually David conquered Yerushalayim and began the process, which is son finished, of building the base Hamigdash in Yerushalayim. So what we're doing now is comparing and contrasting the Mishkan in its final resting place of Shiloh versus the base Hamigdash in Yerushalayim. The only difference between them was in Shiloh, anyone who was able to see Shiloh could eat Kachikalim, which were the um, which were the sacrifice that were available to everyone, and everyone could eat the Maishr Sheni as long as you can see Shiloh. In fact, if you go to modern-day Shiloh, they can, they'll, they'll point out to you there is a um, they un, un, unearth some sort of wall beneath the, mount, the, the ground, and that was actually the mark where you can see the, the Mikdash versus where you couldn't see the Mishkan. Okay. Whereas in Yerushalayim, one can only eat these things in Yerushalayim proper. That means within the walls, which if you're with us from Mishnah Yomi, you can recall what happens if you're in a, a wall where part of the, the uh, window abuts out of it, or you're on a build, you're on a tree, you're on a branch that's inside or outside. The reason we have those questions is because it's not about seeing, but rather about being within the walls. And in Shiloh and Yerushalayim, Kachikachim, which are a higher level of sanctity, these can only be eaten in within the curtains of the um, within the curtains of the base Hamigdash, meaning that in the courtyard of the base Hamigdash, fine. So what we have is the difference is only Kachin Kalim, whereas Kachin Kachin can only be within the Mikdash itself. Kedusha Shiloh, the sanctity of Shiloh Yesha Hatar. If you recall yesterday, we discussed the concept of Bama, that is that people had their own private altars. Well, after when the base when the Mishkan was resting in Shiloh, then people were not allowed to have their private altars. Once it was destroyed. So it became permitted again for people to have bummus again, their own private altars. Yushalayim ain't Whereas once Yushalayim was was built, they it became prohibited to have a, a bummer, and even subsequent to the destruction of Yushalayim, bummus remained prohibited. Okay. Omar Rabbi Yitzlak, Shamati Shmakrivan Beishonov Bismanazep. He says, I hear that the, I know there's a place in, in Beishonia, which is in Egypt, where they bring sacrifices. Now there's a discussion, is based on whether they bring a sacrifices out of the uh, goodness to do God's will, or is it a base of Odazara? This is a debate in the Gemara, and actually, historically, we have record of this temple in Egypt. Okay. The fact that he's mentioning it means that your Yitzhak thinks Beis Chonyov is not a house of Odazara. And furthermore, So there's a big debate. When Yerushalayim was initially sanctified, was it sanctified from now and forevermore? Or that once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, Yerushalayim loses its sanctity and had to be reconsecrated. And we have the same debate about the second time we actually possibly the second time it was consecrated, it remains, but the first time it doesn't. Okay. Rebutzik says, from the fact that um, the fact that we uh, were allowing we're saying in base Chonov they brought they bring carbonos, and in base Chonov, you know, he seems to be uh, some condoning it. That implies not a Vodazar, but also that once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, it was Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim lost the sanctity. And how do I know this? Because the Pasuk tells us, Ki lo So this Pasuk is found in, um, in Devarim, and it says, For you have not yet come to the resting place and to the inheritance. Menucha zu Shiloh, Nachla zu Yerushalayim. 
Therefore, when the Torah compares inheritance as in Shiloh to Yushalayim, just as Shiloh afterwards, after its destruction, it was permitted to bring Bamos again, so too after the destruction of Yushalayim, called Nachala, once allowed to bring Bamos again, and therefore it's taking place in Meshonah, is Bamos. So Amalei, they said to him, Marta, did you really say this? So Amalei, no, I didn't say this, I retracted. Amalei, Halukim Amro Ugimrina Lotmine. Rabbi said, By God, he did say it. I heard him say it. What are you retracting it for? Umay Tamakahadabe, so why did Yitzhak retract it? Yishim Kushya Durav Mari. So seemingly, um, he tried to, Yitzhak tried to deny he said it. Rabbi was like, By God, no, I, I know you said it. And rather, he retracted because Rabbi Mari posed a real challenge to Rabbi Yitzhak. The most of Rabbi Mari. Listen to the following. The Mishnah tells us after Shiloh, we allowed Bawas again. Whereas after Yushalayim was destroyed, we cannot allow Bamas again. Thus, clearly, this contradicts Rav Yitzhak, who said, if they brought a Meshonov, and one was allowed to bring again. Furthermore, I have another problem with you, Rav Yitzhak. I have an explicit Mishnah. This Mishnah is found in Zvachta that says, once they came to Yushalayim, then Bamas became forbidden now and forevermore. He and the Pasuk says inheritance, it's referring to the fact that Yushalayim's inheritance now and forevermore was not allowed to bring a bomb again. So clearly, Rav Yitzhak and Beishonov, they were not allowed to do what they did. Okay. Now let's discuss the concept of Kuchilashayna, Kuchilashlavo. This concept we just been brought up that, that was, is there a heter, or excuse me, is there Kedusha in Yushalayim after it was destroyed? Tanahi, it's actually a debate. Ditan, this not. We learned the following. Omar Rabbi Eliezer. Because I heard the following that when they were building the sanctuary in this, when they were, I should probably preface it, when they were rebuilding the sanctuary in the days of Ezra, upon the second return to the land of Israel after the Purim story, they made curtains for the sanctuary and curtains for the temple court. As in, what they did was, why would they make these curtains? So clearly, the assumption of the Gemara is that. So long as you don't have curtains, so you have a mountain. And by building curtains, what you're effectively doing is building a temporary base of Mikdash. This is before they had time to build the actual base of Mikdash. That came 22 years later. So in order to reconsecrate the mountain on their second return, they had to build a new base of Mikdash, in this case, a temporary one. That seems to imply, the fact they were Mikdash at the first time, they sanctified the first time, that didn't last Forever, but rather, it, when the base of Migdash initially was destroyed, so too did the Kedusha go out. Now, um, then he says, just how do they build these curtains? The El Just important, when they built the sanctuary, they built the, um, for the actual Heichal, where the Mizbeach, Pneumius, the Menorah, they had to build the curtains on the outside of it because the, the workers couldn't go inside to build it because that because it, it's, it's consecrated. Whereas when they built it around the Azar, which is the outside of the where the, where the, where the Temple Mount actually is, they can build it on the inside because one's allowed to go there. All right, point being, this is important, the, the assumption here is the reason you needed to build these curtains was without them, you wouldn't have a consecrated Temple Mount. It would be a regular mountain. Through building them, we're re-consecrated, reinvesting Temple Mount with sanctity because now we have a base of English on the mountain. The Omer Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua comes along and says, Shemat bias. I heard from my teachers that one can bring sacrifices on the Temple Mount even though there is no building. You could eat the Kachim even though there's no wall. 
even though there's no wall around Yishalayim. Why? Why will I do this if there's no wall, if there's no building? Because they said once Yerushalayim was sanctified, that sanctity never went away, and therefore you you can bring sacrifices because it's a holy place. The implication, by the way, is, and this is a very important debate, that the ability to bring sacrifices is not contingent upon having a base um, mikdash. You don't need a base mikdash. Rather, what you need is just Temple Mount. Now, why is this so important? So I've actually mentioned this many times in my various year, but I've never given a shear on this. So again, I think every day I say, just ask me. There was a big debate that erupted in the 1800s and then later even late, later on you know, in the, the, the 1920s about bringing sacrifices Bisman Hazeh. We generally associate a sacrifice with Beis Hamikdash, but if based off this Gemara, Beis Hamikdash is saying, according to at least one opinion here, that if you believe that once Yerushalayim was consecrated, it was sanctified, it never lost its sanctity, in which I already told you, I mentioned it previously, this debate here is all about the first temple. Second temple, we do believe, once it was consecrated, it never loses its sanctity, so then maybe one could argue, if so long as there's sanctity, you could bring the sacrifices, you don't need temple, you don't need a temple, all you need is Temple Mount. And this is a big debate that took place, and then the questions started arising, well, uh, well, you don't have the big day kahuna. Well, where are you going to get the sacrifices from? We're all impure. Lots of very interesting questions, which the, the post the, the postgame then and the different farm to uh, deal with. Just one interesting ha'ara, there's a very famous shalos and shuvah saver by Ben Sion, by, um, called the, the Binyon Sion by uh, Rev Et Etlinger, uh, Rev Yaakov Ben Sion, Rev Ben Sion Etlinger, he was a Rebbe of one of their Bema of Hirsch, and he wrote a saver called Binyon Sion, Building Sion. Why? I think not just because it's a play off his name, or, uh, uh, his name was Ben Sion Etlinger, but also because his first shuvah was dealt with the fact he was asked, can we bring sacrifices to his manazeh, and he deals with them. Uh, oh, sorry, his name was of Yaakov Etlinger. Etlinger. I should know this. His uh, biography written about it has not been published by uh, 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 Judith Bleich wrote it. I read it a couple years ago. Very interesting figure. Okay, so there's my history, or you can see my lack of history, of Yaakov Etlinger. Okay, moving on. Either way, says the Gemara as follows. Um, what we have here is a debate. A debate between Rav Yeshua, who says you can bring Karbanas Mizanazeh because Kitchel Yishona, Kitchel Ashaita, Kitchel Asalalavu, that the Kedush never goes away, versus Rabbi Eliezer, who says, no, once Yushalayim was destroyed, you had to rebuild the sanctuary, in this case, temporarily using uh, using these big mechitzos in order to bring sacrifices again. Where implication is that Rilaza says, Lo Kitchelasalavu, it loses sanctity. However, Amalei Revealer of Ashi, be mine. Maybe you got it all wrong. Maybe everyone, both Rabbi Elazar and Yeshua, are in agreement. They agree with each other. Meaning, we he never said it explicitly. We're deriving it from the fact they had to build these temporary walls. Fine. So he says as follows. Maybe they agree with each other, and they're just reporting what they had heard, but they didn't actually endorse his opinion. At least if that's true, why? Why does Elezer need these curtains? Right, These curtains which we try to derive from there that clearly he thinks the only way to bring sacrifices are you have these curtains, otherwise there's no Kedusha. Maybe for privacy, prevent people from looking at the Kohana when performing their service, but actually you don't need them technically in order to uh, in order to bring Karbanos because Kedusha was shown at Kitshala Asid Lavo. Okay, so now what we've shown is that 
that, that so far we do not have a dispute about the sanctity of Yerushalayim. Once it was consecrated, it never lost its sanctity. So let's find somewhere else, a different dispute among different Tanaim, where we can actually prove there is an argument about this. Did Tani? Says Shmuel, the son of Yossi, Why did the sages enumerate, count these three cities? This is actually a quote from the Gemara in Erechin, Andaf, Lamed Beis, Amen Aleph, discussing what's considered a Bate Orichoma, which we discussed previously, a walled city when it comes to buying and selling a walled city, a walled city when it comes to the Erechin, etc. Why did the, we specifically mention three of the cities? Because when the people and the exiles returned to Israel, they found these walled cities and they sanctified them. Because meaning to say the sanctity of the meaning to say the original sanctity, the original walled cities had lost their sanctity, uh, had lost their sanctity when the Yerushalayim was destroyed. Meaning to say, why did they have to mention these three? Because when they came back, they had to sanctify them. The implication is anything that was previously sanctified loses its sanctity. That seems to imply that, according to Bishmael by Yossi, that the initial sanctity went away. We're going to stop here because the next part is going to find a contradiction with this, but it actually runs through Yud Amin Beis. I wish you all a wonderful day.